Hi, I'm Angela Ardolino and welcome to Your Natural Dog, my podcast featuring in-depth conversation with the world's leading holistic veterinarians and pet care pros. Join us every week as we reveal natural alternatives to the outdated, one-size-fits-all pet care model we're used to. If you like what you hear, please make sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. The only way we can get our message out to pet parents all over the world is with your support. Stop barking! I'm trying to record a podcast! Hey everyone, you're Natural Dog with Angela Ardolino, and today my special guest is Carol Smidja from the original Mind Pet Platter, and she is going to teach us everything we need to know about the proper way to feed our pets, which means what we feed them out of, and when we feed them. All this matters. She has researched this subject. She's actually a psychologist and sociologist who studies humans' behavior in eating and has switched over to the dog side and cat side of things. And it's amazing the knowledge she knows and how she can help even picky dog eaters uh, eat better and what is the best way for us to feed our dogs, how and in what container. So, Join me. It's a great show. You're going to learn so much about feeding our dogs. Hey, everybody. We're back with Your Natural Dog with Angela Ardolino. And I have, as I told you, one of my favorite people on, Carol, from Mind Pet Platter, which I want to say we met like, what, three years ago? We were at the Dogs Naturally event. We were exhibitors. I was there for CBD Dog Health. You were there with Mind Pet Platter. You were next door. I had no idea what your product was. I loved the colors. And then I met you and fell in love with you. And then you gave me an education that blew my mind. And I was like, I've got to have you on my show. And thank you for finally coming on. Oh, Angela, it is so great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. And I'm so excited to share our information with your audience as well. So it's funny because when you were describing to me, about the product and about how you observed, researched, studied how pets eat and how they feed. Um, and I loved it. And I was fascinated because it made so much sense because I have lots of dogs. I have a rescue. And everything you said to me suddenly made everything make sense of how different all my dogs are, how they all eat different, why they were doing certain things with their food, and you just were sitting there answering all the questions. So let's let's talk about it because it's really fun. What your dogs eat out of is very important and how they eat. But what made you ask this question? Like, where did you go, okay, this isn't how they should be eating. How they should be eating is this because this is what I've, I have seen them do in the wild. Like, how did that even start? Well, most ideas come about from your own personal experience. And we had an adorable little Havanese named Pip, uh, 14 pounds, uh-uh. packed with punch. And she used to eat her meals from a bowl in about, 15 seconds and would let out a belch that was so loud, you would think it was a 300-pound football player. We literally could not have people over while she ate because they would have tears streaming down their eyes. (laughs) So lo and behold, one day I was making chicken breasts for her and my daughter said, don't throw the scraps and juices away, mom. Why don't you give them to Pip? So I took the board, put it on the floor 
And for the next 15 minutes, I saw the eating behavior change immediately with her. And about 20 minutes later, she picked up her head, licked her chops and said, thanks, mom. So I told my husband when he came home and he goes, oh my God, Eureka. So I have a background in psychology and sociology, and I actually earned my doctorate to work in the food industry and understanding people's eating behaviors. So what I did was to switch over and started observing how wolves and wildcats eat in the wild. And... The interesting thing about this is the dog is closely related to the gray wolf. They share over 99% DNA. And through evolution, okay, we've domesticated them, but many of the same instinctive feeding behaviors are still operative within them. And when you think about it, we changed their feeding ecology. They were eating out of our carcass. And we force them into eating out of a bowl. And when you look at those two different feeding scenarios, you can see we've created a lot of feeding challenges for them. Yeah, when we started domesticating them, we literally, the, how that happened is we were throwing our scraps to them, not putting them in a bowl. Right. Exactly. And with time for our own convenience and to make sure there wasn't food scattered all over, we just said, okay, let's do a bowl. But when you think about the feeding problems that exist today, the bowl contains the food in a very small area that they can't control. The food is piled high. The only thing they can do is gulp down into it But the interesting thing through our research is we found that they use their lower jaw as a scoop to push the food up against the wall of the bowl, which acts as a backward conveyor of more food and air into their stomachs quicker. And so the bowl is actually counterproductive to healthy digestion. So what would be better is? The pet platter is designed to be an open... Do you mind if I show one? Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) The pet platter is designed to be completely open feeding. They have complete 360-degree view and angle and can move around it. And why why that's important is... I was going to say, tell them why that's important. (laughs) Dogs like wolves have this extraordinary sensory circuit, which we haven't paid any attention to. And first of all, I want to point out their nose. It's the most powerful sense that they have. They have over 100 million sense sites in their nasal cavity versus our 6 million. But they also smell in 3D. And by putting those pieces together, they have this unique ability to identify and locate the foods and items that they want to. So the other thing I'd like to share with people is they can smell a teaspoon of sugar with an Olympic-sized pool. So once you understand they're seeing the world through their nose, it changes the way we look at feeding. The second most powerful sense they have is hearing. 
they hear at much higher and lower frequencies than we do, but also they can hear at much greater distances. For example, we have a wolf at the zoo who will start howling and about eight to 10 minutes later, the specific siren comes by. We weren't able to hear it at all, but that wolf always alerted us to that. So you have the sense of smell, the hearing, and then thirdly is their sense of vision. And they are extraordinary in the sense that they have greater peripheral vision with 20 degree placement, okay? But also they their retina structure is such that they have great motion detection with their eye. So when you're sticking their heads into the bowl, it blocks their peripheral vision. And the food, especially if you use kibble or any sort of hard food, they see that motion going on and it creates an echo. And all of that creates a highly anxious feeding environment. Wow. Wolves and dogs are designed to basically survive. They have survival instincts. And this extraordinary sensory circuit is how they survive. And for people who don't believe that, I love citing an example of a German shepherd husky mix who fell off the back of a boat. This is about 15 years ago off of Southern California By the time the owner realized the dog was gone, they did a search party, couldn't find him. Eight weeks later, on an island that wasn't inhabited, one of the park district people saw this dog. He came around, jumped in the truck, and was ready to go. So this dog swam over five miles to get to this island, and he survived for eight weeks. And guess what he lived on? Rodents and fish. So if you don't think your dog still has that wolf, and I talk about celebrating the wolf within your dog, that is a perfect example of it. I love it. That's it's so true. This is the education she gave me when I first met her and and which is part of the reason why I love her. But I loved it because I certain of my dogs will literally it made sense to me finally take their food and take it out of their bowl separate everything. Talk about a mess. That's a 10 times bigger mess than, um, you know, not having a bowl. The whole reason we have a bowl is to put everything in. And if you're a raw feeder like me, uh, you are, well, I do both now. My old dogs, I have to do gently cooked because they can't tolerate the raw. But, you know, I'm always throwing in a whole bunch of different things. I got to bury the supplements. And I watched my dogs take everything out. Odie's still moves things around on his pet platter. Um, I posted a video. He is a super slow eater and loves his little divots that he gets to lick. And he was never a fast eater. But but then again, my big dogs, it's the same thing. You would think they would eat faster on a platter versus a bowl. And that's not the case at all. Nina will come back around to Odie's pet platter and start licking all the divots he didn't get everything out of. I love it. I think I think it's so brilliant. I love how you paid attention to this and how it helps dogs so much. It's it's really amazing um how that works. 
One of the things I, I would like to mention is that fast eating and gulping behavior is a real common problem among most dogs today. It's, it's kind of a feast or famine. You put that food in front of them, they're going to eat it. But remember, we force them into a bowl. So it's our responsibility to provide a feeding platform that they have to work harder at getting. So when pets eat off of the pet platter, they replicate how a wolf eats over a carcass. It's kind of a convex position, so food can't coagulate in their throat. But when they eat from a bowl, their neck turns concave to act as that shovel. And that's why there's coagulation. And what, if you see your pet stretching their neck, they're trying to get that food down because they don't have amylase in their saliva. Digestion starts in the stomach. So you, we really have to work at it. So with a pet platter, when you spread the food all over, they're picking up smaller pieces at a slower pace. So all we did was to replicate mother nature. And you don't want to use anything hitting into their nose. And I know some people will put tennis balls in bowls to try to stop it. But their noses are very sensitive. They have mucous membrane on the inside. And if the nose is constantly hitting into something, it starts to swell and causes pain and discomfort. But here's the other thing. If the device you're using shoves food up their nasal cavity, what happens, the food dries it out and they can't smell it all. Wow. it's really important to not interfere with that nose. If, if there's one thing I could ask everybody to walk away with is my dog sees the world through his nose and I'm going to respect it because that's his most important sense. Uh, I love that tip. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, I want to talk about um, how it can help dogs that are having issues which I think the number one thing I get from people um, at the store when they come in is that they have a picky eater and what that means and how it can help with that uh, when we come back right after this. If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer. Research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. Enter coupon code RADIO at CBDDogHealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health. Healing naturally. And we're back with Carol from My Pet Platter, and we're talking now about picky eaters, which I get this question all the time. Um, with people who have dogs that don't like their food, don't eat their food for one reason or another. It sits in the bowl all day. And of course, uh, after I educate those that are feeding a kibble that their dog is not eating, because I'll tell you what, my dogs eat their food. They uh, love their food and eat their food. And I did feed kibble at one point, and that food would sit in there all day long. So I understand that. But once we've figured out the food and you still have a picky eater, this might be 
the the one thing that you didn't think about. How does a eating on a on a platter help a picky eater? Well, it's really interesting because when you look at wolves in the wild, they have complete control over their carcass. And in fact, before they will start eating a carcass, they will actually have circling behavior in both directions to make sure it is safe to proceed with eating. And for people who may not understand, again, going back to this extraordinary sensory circuit, I've observed videos where a wolf will have a rabbit, which is fairly small, and he's bringing it to a place where he can eat it. And in under a second, another wolf will swoop in and take that rabbit. And it happens like that. It's just a blur across the screen. So we have to realize that this sensory circuit is operating and finicky eating, your dog is trying to tell you something. They have their own way of communicating. So if they're dumping or you're hand feeding, obviously there's an issue. And I had one woman at the Dogs Naturally conference who came to me and said, I have been hand feeding my dog for 10 years. She will not eat out of any feeder and she will only eat from my hands and your platter isn't going to change that. So I said, I'm up for the challenge. You take this platter for free and you come back tomorrow. She's, she's a dear friend. We're lifelong friends now. Oh, good. She came, Yay. she came back and she said, you were right. <laughs> the awesome. dog would no longer eat out of her hand. Okay would not eat out of any other feeding device. And this is why. The platter, in addition to 360 degree view and movement, gives them control over their eating environment. Their senses, their hearing, their smell, their vision is all working to say everything's all right. So where is the most common place that people feed their pets? Kitchen. In a corner, in a kitchen, exactly. What happens, you have the bowl blocking their peripheral vision, all this activity in a bowl signaling something's going on, and noises that we can't even hear are operating within their hearing range. Then you have them in a corner, okay? So the walls are blocking their peripheral vision, but they're st- still hearing all that noise in back, And they can't see in any way, shape, or form. Plus, they can't circle it. They don't have movement around it. You've cut off their feeding territory and created a more anxious situation. So with our pet platter now, we give helpful feeding tips. Pull the pet platter away from a corner or the side of a wall. Allow your dog to move around. Spread the food all across in all the divots, and you will see a lot of interaction because wolves interacted with their carcasses, okay? And they made food choices as well. When you're stuffing food into a bowl, it can also be anxious because they don't really know what they're eating at all. It's all piled high. And wolves have very different eating patterns, much like we do. Some wolves will pull out the organs and line it up 
on the outside. Some will select specific organ meat or it's all unique. But the one thing they do have is control over their eating environment and they know that they can protect their food resource. Again, going back to those instinctive feeding habits. So if you have any uh, finicky eaters out there, I promise you, just spread the food on the platter, put it out more in the center, and let them at it, and you will create a healthy environment for them to eat from. I love it. I love that explanation. It makes so much sense to me. It does. It's almost, you know, we all we all eat different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like how, remember when Oreo came out with, how do you eat your Oreo? You know, some people <laughs> bite it, some people eat the middle. I love it. I would love to know why they're putting certain things aside. Do they save them for later? Is that their favorite? Is there something instinctual that they know they're supposed to eat those last or whatever? It's so interesting to me. Sometimes it can depend on the season, okay, because during the winter season, food resource becomes more scarce. It could be wanting to open it up for other wolves to eat from if you're operating in a pack. So it it, it all depends, too, if there's a pack that goes after a larger animal, because wolves do not kill a large animal like a bison. Okay, what they basically do is run it into an area where they tire it out. It either sinks in snow or mud. And most oftentimes it it will just sort of die from shock more than anything because the wolves aren't strong enough to kill it. But then there are smaller prey that they can go out and get. And that's their prey for ownership. And if you've ever seen your dog rolling over food or something like that, that's saying this is mine and this isn't yours to play with. And we see that at the zoo all the time, these instinctive feeding behaviors operating all the time. So uh, the other thing I should tell you though, the the, pet, the actual design of the pet platter, the surface is represents elements of the carcass and the scoops are specifically designed for the size of your dog's tongue Uh, The small platter is for dogs under 30 pounds, the large for over 30 pounds. But this licking releases positive endorphins in their brain, which is both rewarding and relaxing. So in addition to creating a safe environment, you're letting them engage in their traditional instinctive behaviors, which also brings a more rewarding experience. So the pet platter builds a positive relationship with food rather than a negative one because they're frustrated with how the food is delivered to them. I love that. And you're bringing up the fact that, you know, the licking and how that uh, releases endorphins and how it's a great activity for them to do. It's also something, it's also a physical activity and mental activity that they're doing. So it's really important. But because of this, we have a slew of something called lick mats out on the market, um, which I want to say the first time I saw it is when someone was trying to give their dog a bath. And so they had this mat that they smeared peanut butter on that took them a long time to to lick off. Of course, what I always see is, oh, I wonder what kind of cheap old plastic that's made out of and what chemicals are leaching out of it. That's what I always see, especially when I see that they're only, you know, what are they, $9.99, $5.99, whatever they are. So I never did it. A, I'm not, I'm also don't believe in putting peanut butter, giving peanut butter to dogs. So 
Uh, hey, did I ever tell you that I've only gone to the hospital once in my life besides being born and that it was for salmonella poisoning that I got from Peter Pan peanut butter? Oh, you're kidding me. Oh my God. So anyway, I'm, maybe that's also why I'm not a fan of peanut butter. But anyway, and here, here raw feeders were told, you know, be careful not to spread these. No, I got it from Peter Pan peanut butter. Couldn't figure it out until there was a recall and happened to run to the cabinet and look. Oh. And it was the same one. But anyway, not to get off on a tangent. Right. Let's talk about that. Let's not only that, lick mats, bowls, feeding out of cheap plastic bowls or stainless steel bowls that aren't that are a very low grade or that are from China or God knows what they're made out of. Dogs are going to lick those bowls. They have their nose and face in those bowls. So picky eater, a large part of that might be what you're feeding them out of and that you want it to be safe, absolutely safe. So what are some of right. these dangers or what are you seeing as far as these lick mats and cheap bowls and things like that? You know, I'm so glad you brought this up, Angela, because uh, the most recent statistics show that the cancer rate with ducks and cats are doubling each year. So given these cancer rates, it's really important that we look at the quality of the material because your pet's tongue is on that several times during the day in constant contact. And I can tell you, we actually hired an engineer for our materials. And what we found is a lot of people think stainless steel is just, you know, really safe. But surgical steel and stainless steel are still two very different things. And if you do get a stainless steel bowl from China, we highly recommend you put it through the dishwasher 12 to 15 times because they use toxic chemicals, which continue to leach. And then even with rubbers, rubbers can still be porous. And one of the things that we found is in manufacturing them, people don't often think about, they, they think about the material, but how is it actually manufactured? We manufacture 100% USA. Our, our manufacturing facility is in Wisconsin, and we follow good manufacturing processes. I don't think people understand something about that. Like I, I, someone just told, gave me this idea that people even thought that, that we're not bashing anything not made in America. But let me tell you what happens when it gets made in the United States. We, as owners of the company, have control over what's happening. And right. we, and if we have, let's say like for our products, they get tested in a lab. If that lab comes up with something, my manufacturer has a, has a lab he works with. The farmer has a mm -hmm. lab. I have my own. We all test and then we all, and it's all here where we can communicate, where I can fly to Colorado and be there. Right. I think that's what people don't understand is that it's the control. It's the apps having control. And let's, and during the pandemic, man, all control, if anything came from overseas, it stopped. It right. stopped. And you don't. And then it has to be inspected again. So I can't, I want people to understand that it's not, not that you can't get a quality product or something from overseas. It's about having control over what we're promising. And the only way to do that is to be in the country that you're, you're manufacturing your product and getting your, your supplies from. Exactly. And that's why one of the things we do after our product is finished, 
we send it to an independent lab for testing, third party, and we're certified food safe. Nothing can leach from the product and nothing can be absorbed in the product. So when your pet is licking that platter or has contact with the snout, you never have to fear that anything is coming into contact that could hurt your pet. And I think this is one of the most important things we as manufacturers need to, you know, commit to because it does make a difference in cancer rates. Heck yes, absolutely. And as much as they lick and use their mouth and nose, it's absolutely so important. The other thing that I'd like to talk about, and you had already mentioned, are the lick mats. And one of the things I want to share with you is that, as I mentioned, The pet platter is designed to resemble the carcass. It allows foraging, exploring, hunting, licking, much like they do with their carcasses, giving them back that sort of natural, instinctive feeding behavior. The one thing about the the lick mats that you need to be careful about is that they're designed to be counterproductive to instinctive feeding because they have these sharp corners and ridges that the tongue is coming across, but it doesn't fit the dog's tongue and the food gets caught in the corners. And if the material breaks, it gets caught in there. With the dog's nose being so sensitive, he's smelling the food, but he can't get to the food, which leads to obsessive compulsive licking, which we now refer to as negative licking, which can cause behavioral disorders, but also some vets are seeing strains in neck muscles because the obsessive compulsive licking becomes so rigorous, it starts to cause physical disorders. Wow. And another thing to think about is you want to make sure, it's almost like the platter serves as a charcuterie board where you can put organ meat, bone broth, goat's milk. And that's, is that how you would recommend it? Oh, I think especially for raw feeders, it's great for them because here's the thing. Studies have been done with wolves and mountain lions, and they will work to get the food resource that they prefer. So with both dogs and wolves, they set up an experimental uh, scenario where they had raw meat, tofu, and kibble. The dog and the wolf had to work harder to get to the raw meat. You better believe it. They worked hard. The only time they backed away from the raw meat was when they were really hungry and they needed some sort of energy. To go back to the raw meat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So your your pet, your dog is making food choices and allowing him a surface like the pet platter stimulates his brain. It allows him to make selections So you're giving happiness back to your pet because that's how they're programmed. I love it. That's kind of how I started. But now everybody, all my dogs are seniors or geriatric. So I have so many um, supplements, you know, that I'm putting in that I bury it all in there, but I still spread it out and they still love to get it out of all of the, the little creases and and all that. So, and it's funny because if somebody leaves anything in any of those divots, someone else is going to come by and make sure that they all get cleaned out. (laughs) (laughs) And the pet platter actually helps with older dogs because they can position their bodies in a way that's comfortable. 
But if I could share one other thing with about the pet platter, we actually come in three different colors. Oh, yeah. And there's okay? a reason for that. There is a reason for that. We get requests <laughs> for pastels, wood, this and that. And the reason is uh, dogs have a different color spectrum than we do. And so we selected the colors that they can see and differentiate between. And this helps with food aggression and food guarding because the color that you first serve your pet on, they adopt that as their personal feeding territory and they will respect the color of the other dog's feeding territory. Swear to God, Angie, swear to God. It really does work. And then the other thing is a lot of dogs have visual challenges as they get older. Like Odie does. Okay, so if you have a dark floor, get a bright colored goldenrod platter. So the contrast is there. And if you have That's a light- Odie's favorite one. <laughs> get a darker color like the teal for the contrast. And really, we're just mimicking what trainers do because when they're competing in an arena, they'll wear a color shirt that's in contrast ah. to the walls around them. So the dog can pick up on their owner better that way. Very cool. All these neato things I didn't know about. I love it. That is so cool. Okay, now you're going to tell everybody where they can find out more information about you and my the Mind Pet Platter. Okay, you can go to our uh, website at mindpetplatter.com and it gives our history. It'll show a diagram for platter feeding versus bowl feeding and all the information you could possibly want. And I also wanted to alert people that I'm currently working on a journal article, which is going to go into peer review in a veterinary journal. Very So cool. I, I want to share our information. We did so much primary and secondary research, and this is our way to share our love for pets to the rest of the world. And thank you for giving us the opportunity. You bet. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you. I just have to say one thing. We met about four years ago. And after my husband unexpectedly passed away, you were always there for me and always welcomed me to all of the conferences. And I just want to say how much I value your friendship. Most importantly, I value what you're doing for the pet community by sharing knowledge and making sure people have that knowledge. So thanks to you. Our team would like to say thank you. And thanks so much for having us today. Thank you so much for what you do. It's um, an honor and a pleasure to know you and to call you my friend. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening from. This is the best way to help pet parents like you find these episodes and get access to all our content. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Your Natural Dog and at AngelaArtolino.com. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri, made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. 
Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in Mycodog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. Mycodog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder, breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at mycodog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi. 